This is the 64th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhardt. With me are my dear co-hosts Robin Svensson and Christopher Wikström. Warm welcome to you, dear listener. Hello. Hi. How do you do? Good evening, friends. I hope you're doing well. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found every week on the TopTech app. In this episode, we will talk about some paper legacy played recently, how we are feeling about paper after some time in Dominaria again, as well as revisiting the Legacy Staple Connoisseur panel, this time for a white one-drop, so stay tuned for that. First up though, the paper play report. Robin, are you still feeding the hamster? No, the hamster has run in its wheel and uh, died off as they do. No, I actually didn't play paper this week. I was at a corporate event, (laughs) which I had to attend to. So no paper magic for me, but hopefully this week I will play. Check this white color guy in. It's got to represent those corporate events. Yes, got to represent. Christopher, did you play any magic this week? Yeah, I decided to uh, bring a learn again. We have this new league going, so it's uh, nice to get those early results in because I don't know how bad my study schedule is going to be down the line. But I, I brought the almost same 75, but now I had the time to actually cut some of those uh, cards that I played in uh, Norrköping at Invasion Games from my sideboard, because we, we barely have any Delver, <laughs> and it was like Super Ant Delver. So I, I, I got to cut one Plague Engineer and two Carpet of Flowers for two Force of Negation and a Pernicious Deed for my boy Victor. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, first up, I played against Esper Vile, and I think this is a pretty good matchup. You know, uh, you grind as hard as they do. They have a heavier end game grind than you have, and that's why the Pernicious Deed is such a banger because you can just nullify all of their value that they are trying to accrue. So that was a, a two-zero. It's also scary when you all you can always threaten to just press the I win the button game, and most Esper Vile decks these days are playing Yorion, which means that the force of will density might be lower or they might get some shaky hands in a in a matchup where you both have to fight the grind and uh, just straight up combo win. So that was a, a nice 2-0. And then we go up to uh, Naya Depths. And uh, this is a, I mean, it's a scarier matchup every time I play it. They have Buseju for your Aluren. They play Choke and Red Blasts in the sideboard. You know, it's just spooky times all around. And now when we're in October, it's not going to get easier. It's going to get more more spooky out there. But yeah, like uh, game one, I managed to win. I did a, a pretty nice, you know, just grind a bit. And then when my opponent was tapped out, I went for the combo. Because the best they can do in game one is nothing. <laughs> so you just, it's, it's, it's pretty free. Like no, no flash threat or anything can really solve it. And they don't really have force of vigor or anything at that point. So it's a pretty nice one. Game two. I get super land destroyed, like all of my fine and nice permanents are just getting totally destroyed and a Minsk and Boo just kills me very quickly after my mana has been shaken a bit. It's very hard and Robin must be very familiar to this now. I love to hear it, love to hear it. Whenever you're like, oh man, my hand is pretty shaky, I have one green source and it's a trap. And then like turn three or four, they wasteland you and play a Minsk and you're like, oh man. This is going to be one uphill battle. The best is save Keeper into Library, into Choke, into Minsk. That's the curve that I like. Like, close your ears. <laughs> I don't know the saying, but cover your ears, kids. Hide your islands. 
hide your islands. But then in game three, uh, we played a, a really grindy game. Like my opponent resolved a uh, Spirit of the Labyrinth and then also a uh, Sylvan Library. <laughs> so I was pretty happy about that uh, that spirit being in play because it was kind of kind of bad for them. But then we did end up in a situation where, you know, that Labyrinth started mattering a lot. <laughs> and we, uh, you know, I had like Aluren Uro Harp in hand and I was like, they're on Naya deck. I'm just going to gain 150 trillion life. So I did that and I said, I'm going to end here at 150 trillion uh, because I don't draw cards. Uh, so I just, you know, uh, gain gain some life with Uro. And then on, on their turn, I can still draw one with Uro and such. But we played some games out and it went to time. And my opponent was sitting there looking at his deck. And he was like, how many endurances and forces do you have left? And I was like... I have two Endurance, all Forces, and a Serac in the deck. And he conceded because he was like, I, there's, I can't win this game. So that was kind of a, a good guy move. And then in, in round three, I played against Lance. And we had a really interesting game one. And you know, Lance is also scary now when they're playing Minsk and Boo. Because before, it was a, can you threaten Marit fast enough? Or is this a game where I have to play a lot of duels and get locked out? And uh, Minsk and Boo has definitely made game one scarier because it's one of those threats that just gets on early and they can ma- make Marit and fling it at you. And it's, you know, just scary. But I, I do get to play Aluren and uh, win with my Acerac in hand at one life. So that was pretty nice. Or one or two life. <laughs> so that was pretty, pretty scary. In game two, I do get destroyed by wasteland minsk kind of like the <laughs> the game against Nyadets. you know mm-hmm. uh, they find your that you have weak footing they place that wasteland right in the dome and just the game ends quite quickly and then in game three i i think i had a pretty pretty solid combo hand like uh, i could fetch basics could uh, you know just play some value creatures and then when i did go for the when i did go for the alluren i knew that he had besaju in hand because he had loamed it. Mm. But I had uh, two ways to uh, win. I did the Uro play Harpy, and then he Besejude. And with that on the stack, I just played second Harpy, drew the deck as Eric. Last game, I played against the uh, end boss and uh, two-time guest on the podcast, the two-time, the Hope, who was on what he previewed very discreetly at the end of our podcast when we had recorded. I ska share it. No, I wish. He actually played <laughs> Jund with Saga, Minsk and Boo and Currency Converter. Wow. And oh, wow. Uh, that was super, such a cool deck. And uh, game one is kind of grindy, but, you know, eventually, you know, he plays Loam, Punishing Fire, Wastelands and just like so many mean cards. So, like when you when you end up deep down in the pit there's no way out <laughs> and that's kind of like the game one what was the black for the black was for liliana it was for him to torak it was for Fotsies. oh wow Mm-mm. the real jund cards yeah yeah, yeah. so it was it, it was a jund deck like uh, without goifs and stuff like that it was just you know you're winning with saga and you're winning with currency converter and loam and eventually liliana or stuff like that awesome. and uh, yeah, I was I was quite tired. You know, I just came from the from a really long day at at uh, KTH. So when sideboarding, I just totally forgot to bring in my Veil of Summers, uh, which would have been really good. <laughs> and uh, yep. I get mm-hmm. I get destroyed yep. by discard 
and I think I concede uh, like seven rounds like turns in or something like that because maybe it was a bit longer but it's one of those situations where you're just like I'm not gonna get out of this and uh, it's a lock so yeah I went three and one it was a good night Well, great games for Christopher here, nicely done. And speaking of greatness, Dominaria, this great original plane of magic that we've been back to for about a month uh, since the release of Dominaria United is up next for discussion. What has that brought us, really? We elected not to do a spoiler episode, mainly because we had no time for that, and everyone else takes responsibility for that as well. But the cards are indexed now, and we want to discuss a bit which cards. What are your impressions, guys? Robin, take it away. Well, I only pre-ordered one card from this set, Right. And uh, that is the Goblin Lord. So this is like a two-mana Goblin. It's a 1-1. And he pumps all of the other Goblins, as Lords do. And the second line of text is that when a Goblin dies, you exile the top card of your library. And if it's a Goblin, you may play it until your next end step. The idea here is that you can crew a little bit of value with this guy and especially if you assemble some sort of combo where you sacrifice some of your less valuable goblins and you can like draw or semi-draw a few cards to like keep up on value against the blue decks. I don't think this has really proven to be as good as perceived. It hasn't made any splashes online that I've seen. And like when when some of the content creators have tried it, they have been kind of cold on it. I'm still going to try it. I want to try it with one of my favorite Fallen Empires goblins. The Goblin Chirurgon. It's a one red mana 0-2 goblin. It says sacrifice a goblin to regenerate another goblin. Which means this guy is unkillable. Like you can save your lord by sacking your worthless piece of uh, war war marshals and whatnot so that's what i'm up to be doing and i think like the the plus one plus one can be kind of good in a deck which is kind of aggressively slanted so i don't think you need it mostly for the value but somewhat also for the aggro aspect of it so that's like the card that uh, i was looking forward to most and now i'm a little bit less looking forward to it but i'm still gonna try it yeah i think that lord has uh, you know it, it had a lot of uh, fire from the uh, goblin community going in and a lot of people were excited about you know a skirk prospect or with this card and for me plague engineer is kind of low right now there it's not yeah. too many plague engineers running around so this being a one one in of itself is not as big of a problem as it would have been two years ago or yeah, something like that i agree which is important to, to it, it's, bring it's up. a house of card against goblin engineers like pumps everyone else but then dies itself and everyone else dies. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a little bit yeah, fun. Yeah, but you get sure. a lot of triggers from it yeah and i think triggers. That's, that's the thing i i really think is cool with it <laughs> right even though they might be completely useless in the face of engineer. Yeah, and like uh, Goblin is like a, I don't know how many lands, but at least 24, I would guess. 
land deck with vials probably as well so there are a lot of like uh, around 50 percent misses also so that's that's quite scary but i think like just like you mentioned the plus one plus one and this comes down turn two just like uh merfolk lord back in the day and if you can give your lackey plus one plus one it gets through pretty much anything turn one yeah and i think that's pretty powerful too yeah, it's been quite good in that department in, in like the goldfish. I haven't actually tried it against an opponent, but I've slid it up and and, and like tried a little bit of different configurations. And uh, I tried with Skirk Prospectors, but that card in itself is not so good. It's a little bit too all in, like you try to turbo out a Muxus or something like that, and then you just get blown out by Force of Will. There, there's, there might be something there. What else do we have? So yeah, I, I think that uh, Dominaria United is a very balanced and great set for Legacy. Just, like just looking at power level, you get some cool legendary creatures that uh, one of our dear co-hosts might talk about later. But also, like you mentioned, just some really cool tribal lords. I've ran into the uh, Merfolk Lord twice now and the uh, curse catcher effect on that card is very powerful at the same time as it just grows everything else so that's i think i think this is a cool set for tribal even if those two are the arguably best ones those both of those archetypes are something that needs a, a bit of shake up so i think that's very healthy but i'm surprise surprise going into uh, some alluring cards from this set and the reason is because three of the cards from this set has already either top aided the challenge and it's in this case, I think top two like, uh, was the runner-up in a showcase challenge. Or 5-0 the league. And I'm going to start with the 5-0 league cards, which is first, Shadow Prophecy. And this is a black instant for two and a black. And it has domain. Look at the top X cards of your library, where X is the number of basic lands, land types you control among the lands you control. Put up to two of them into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. You lose two life. The uh, the Alern deck that I saw play this had a full playset of this card. And it played four different land types in the deck. And the idea is that this is a very modest dig for time. <laughs> so for free mana, a lot of the times you look at four cards. Put two of them in your hand and lose two life. In a deck where you... Like that that deck was also very combo-centric. It was just trying to do the combo, execute it, find it, and be on its way. Uh, I think this is a really nice end-of-turn thing to just throw out there for free mana. And uh, that kind of brings us into the next card, which was also in the same deck, which is Leyline of Binding. And this is one of the cards that when I saw saw it for the first time, I was like, man, this is uh, this is quite a cool card. And it's a white enchantment for five and a white. So it's a six mana card in Legacy. But boys, is it really six mana? So it has flash and then domain, but as in uh, the spell costs one less to cast for each basic land type among the lands you control. No one enters the battlefield. You exile target non-land permanent on opponent controls until Ley Line of Binding leaves the battlefield. So this is a card that can't get Abrupt Decayed. It can't get Prismatic Endinged. <laughs> it, it exactly can't get Prismatic Endinged until we see a six color, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I think this is a super cool card. And it saw play in the same domain alluring, I'm going to call it, as the other list. 
as just a really nice way to maybe end of turn exile uh, Shoke or exile Minsk and Boom. You can exile Marit Large with this. You can just do a lot of things with this card. It kind of plays the same role as Prismatic Ending, but it's not as efficient. But being a six-man enchantment is uh, quite nice and the flash aspect it i don't think i think it's pretty good i think i'm a i'm a bit of a boomer but i think oblivion ring is pretty good maybe not for legacy due to its like being free mana and for most of the times this will probably be free or two mana as well but the instant speed aspect really makes it nice and it's very a lot harder to remove yeah no man i see it i see it this is um this could be really interesting. At least it's worth trying to see sort of when is it really bad that I'm thinking sort of, of course, turn one, turn two, probably not going to be amazing in the same mm. way that prismatic ending can be amazing. But, you know, turn three, four onwards, flash isn't half bad. The only thing that I don't like, I suppose, is like if you if you use it as one of your removal slots against Delver or something like that, it's a little bit weird if they run uh, Petty Theft and can just bounce it and get a huge tempo swing if they bounce it at the end of the turn. But I guess if you complement this with the like the ordinary removal suite, it, it's a nice complement, I would say. Yeah, and that that's what the uh, what this deck did. Like it was a a four color domain alert, so uh, you know, sorts of plowshares can still be found in there. And the the thing with this also, even if they do have a petty theft, if you're thinking about uh, your Delver opponents. The Merktide is come, gonna come back as a free free. That's You're true. gonna get an unflipped Delver back. So it's it's uh, it's for sure like a tempo swing as opposed to just playing Swords to Plowshares on mm. your opponent's creature. But I think uh, the things that this thing can solve as well is you know some other things that might be inconvenient in a matchup. Maybe maybe not Court of Cunning because <laughs> you know you're you're playing a lot of flash threats. But this list was very f- like creature light played a lot of those uh, shadow prophecies and you gotta make your cuts somewhere right but uh yeah i think it's pretty cool and it's one of those cards like i have still not been ley line of binding yet but the first time i'm gonna probably be shocked when they for two mana or something just exile my alluren or something or if i'm playing a control deck i think it kind of fills a role as well because now that prismatic ending is i mean such a super strong card like the way that decks try to play around that is playing like super weird mana costs that is some sort of discount on so that you don't have to pay it like uh, convoke or uh, what is it called improvise and delve of course so like this is a way to catch all of those cards that are trying to like slip out of the the control decks way of handling them so i like it in that slot very much yeah and for, for a lot of decks that might have trouble dealing with a Minskinbu, if you're playing a, a domain deck, like it's probably going to be two mana to instant speed, get that thing off the table. So yeah, the, the last card is the one that I'm most excited about. And this is just uh, because it came with a, a whole new approach to learn, And it's the second place challenge deck. And uh, this card is Aether Chandler. It's kind of like a Mana War was back in the day. It's a 2-1 blue creature, human wizard for 2 and a blue. And then when it enters the battlefield, you can choose to either make a 1-1 white bird creature token with flying, return an other target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. So it bounces non-land permanents, either yours or your opponent's. It's kind of like a, a baron, 
but for non-land permanents. Or it draws a card. And the innovations that we've seen in Alurn is people cutting a Zerorak and just squeezing in all of the eight Strixes in Alurn again, playing Uros. And the idea is to just get Alurn into play, draw a bunch of cards, get Uro, gain a lot of life and just draw pretty much your deck. And then play Ether Channeler, bounce it a bunch of times, make 41 ones or 21 ones with flying and pass the turn with, you know, a, a sculpted hand of Cavern Harpy, Forces and your two, two Endurances so you can rinse and repeat it next turn. So I think that's really nasty. All oh, right, so it doesn't really play a finisher. No, it doesn't play a Serac, it doesn't play Parasitic Strix, it doesn't play any of those cards. It's That's super cool. Draw so I many like cards. It. So the the benefit of this is when you draw a Serac or Parasitic Strix or whatever and you don't have a Luren, it's right. such it's a bad a super card. card. Yeah. Yeah. But this card, I mean, as worst, it's a free mana draw one. And Alurn is pretty pretty used to playing those effects already. <laughs> but, you know, it can buy you a turn. Like, getting a 1-1 bird token with flying is also pretty good against Sejiri Step when you're playing against Marit decks. And uh, the whole return target non-land permanence to its owner's hand. It's a pretty nice way to get maybe Minsk out of play, maybe get Shoke out of play... Uh, that sphere effect that has been bothering you. So it's it's really nice. I see I see this as a really nice thing. And if I get them until first day, I'm gonna try this build. Cool. So Victor, what is what is your Dominaria United banger? Early on, of course, uh, during the spoilers season, I actually looked at this one, Shale Dread the Apocalypse, and for two reasons. One, because I really loved the original Shale Dread, Swamp Walk, weirdly re- returned, like uh, ultimate cube card, essentially. Uh, but me and a friend, we actually played it in sideboard in standard when that was live, and it did did come up. <laughs> but this new iteration of Shale Dread the Apocalypse is two and two black for four or five legendary creature. Phyrexian Praetor Death Touch. Whenever you draw a card, you gain two life. Whenever an, an opponent draws a card, they lose two life. So, of course, firstly, I'm like, and this is the second reason, yay, look at this, I'm going to put this in Reanimator, and whenever I draw seven, I'm going to gain 14. Um, <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so, the, so then I can draw another seven, <laughs> gain another 14, and just find my deck. And I, I, I think you could sort of slot this into, uh, obviously, a Shillen of Coralis type of uh, Reanimator build. If you want to draw your entire deck to win, of course, uh, this one will help in in that instance. But this has actually proven itself in the last couple of weeks as a card that you would put in your deck if you play cantrips. Because with this card, you know, Brainstorm becomes gain six on top of (laughs) the other effects it has. And your opponents can't really play their own Brainstorms because that comes with an attached lose six life. And that's pretty powerful. I mean, essentially, as Max Torsion said on the recent episode of Everyday Eternal, is when you have this in play, you negate the entire attack from an 8-8 Murktide on your own turn if you play Brainstorm. And that's a lot because uh, Murktides hit hard. So this one, I think, has shown some potential already. And I think this card will keep showing more of its potential because... You can go so deep with this. And there, there are so many ways for you to draw cards, to make your opponent draw cards. I mean, what about this in a Howling Mind deck, eh? Don't you want to? I know you want to. <laughs> Love Man. it. Yeah, that is nasty. 
I think this card is uh, very cool. And like you mentioned, the deck that I think this might have the greatest potential in is is just that, in the sideboard of Doomsday, or maybe even if the meta is super delver heavy in the main deck. Because just like you mentioned, it's already a very tricky matchup for your Doomsday deck. You're trying to play this free mana sorcery that cuts your life in half. And uh, you're playing that against uh, a Bolt Merktide deck with a lot of counter spells. But Shieldred, like, they have one, two, maybe three ways of removing it. Three if they play two Brazen Borrowers and one of that uh, Unholy Heat. Is that, uh, yeah, like, besides that, this thing is going to be in play. You're going to keep gaining life and your opponent is losing life. Each brainstorm they play, they take six. It's a four or five death touch. Yeah, it it's hits hard. Giant creature as well. So I think this is a super cool card. And maybe it's something for your Nickfit deck, Victor. It could be. It could also be something that you would I mean, I can see this making making strides in mono black stompy as well. I mean, you can essentially just throw this one down, turn one, and be like, Okay opponent, deal with this. Can we just take a moment to appreciate this with Sylvan Library? Like, oh man it's mm-hmm. disgusting like you you just look at three cards but you gain six life and then you decide to to pay or not to pay do i want to draw three and pay two <laughs> but i think uh, also for your one of your pet decks victor reanimator this is a four mana creature you know it's not unheard of to uh, dark ritual uh, grief out of course and, not. and this is uh, a much scarier turn one if you have to have a plan b because the opponent boarded in ley line. If you get this down, like turn one against uh, a lot of blue decks, it's just lights out also. Faithless looting comes with gain. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to get my hands on some of these uh, eventually uh, and try them out. And again, I don't think we've seen the last of them. Right, now it's high time for another iteration of the Legacy Staple Connoisseur panel with yet another iconic one drop, this one in white, and you guys guessed it, it's Swords to Plowshares, or at this is spelled in British English, Plowshares. Come on guys, what do you got? I started playing during the revised era, so you might think that I should pick like the original printing of Swords to Plowshares, but uh, shortly after revised, of course, came Ice Age, and the Swords to Plowshare from there is my favorite, and I think I might have that in common with someone else here. Uh, but like, this is this is the perfect picture for Swords to Plowshare because the sword is turned into a peace dove. It's like the most anti-violent thing you can do to a, a player turn their weapons into a symbol of peace. So that, that's my pick. And I, I'm with you on this one. This is the only pick for me when it comes to what's the actual best art. Uh, apart from what you said, also this is the Swords to Plowshares that comes with the best flavor text. The so-called barbarians will not respect us for our military might. They will respect us for our honor. Lucille Thickstotter, leader of the Order of the White Shield. There are so many iterations of Swords to Plowshares that essentially sort of are 
depicting swords to plowshares. And I think that's a, a bit too obvious. I, I, ironically, I think the first one is, is the sort of more subtle uh, swords to plowshares because you have this man with uh, his, uh, you know, some kind of tool in a field. And you imagine this is a former soldier who has now returned home. All the other ones are sort of, I mean, depict physical plowshares. And I think that's just sort of uh, strange. The newest take being the Warhammer 40k swords to plowshares, which has uh, <laughs> interesting depiction of a tank. That apparently <laughs> has been put to some kind of farm use. I don't know. I'm not too deep into wow. 40k lore to to understand what's actually going on. Tanks but to tractors. Yes, again. I mean, Kyrofoglo Kyo Ice Age. This is great, great art for swords to plushers. and you can get it in uh, both old and new border. I think because it was uh, reprinted in some supplementary product somewhere. What about you, Christopher? Well, first, I think this is... Uh, I, I love this art as well. I think also the whole, uh, what can you say, religious tone of it is is quite nice. Like you have this light behind the head of L- Lucilde. You know, it's all of those peace doves and there's, you know, crosses on both the armor and the sword. I think this this is the first Swords to Plowshares that I ever got pointed towards me also i think it's the first art i saw i think it's it's a, a staple i think i i also prefer this much over the uh, alphabeta like the original but like you said with subtlety the first one is really subtle and i think it's uh, also very very nice but my pick is not subtle N- not at all my pick is actually the judge reward Swords to Plowshares by Sam Wolf Connolly. And it's literally a knight holding up a giant broadsword about to hit something. And then you can see, you know, many iterations of it of you know you see the you see the contrast. And not not contrast, what's the word I'm looking for? You see the shades of the person, you know, segmentally going into a farmer. And then with the same position about to hack their plowshares into the ground. What I like about this is how it feels so sudden. It doesn't really feel like the choice of the person in this picture, but then when you read the flavor text, it gets clear to me why it's my favorite, which is the smallest seed of regret can bloom into redemption, which is a person laying down their sword after a war and trying to live with the horrors of war, trying to make amends with their own mind at the field, just farming, nourishing life instead of taking it. So this is my number one pick. What do you guys think? I think with the um, motivation of the flavor text, this one grows on me. And I used to play these as judge rewards in uh, my when I had an old foiled out uh, D&T deck. So I do like them. But I have come to, I mean, as I said before, like them less because they are a bit obvious in a way. But looking beyond that obviousness of how it's drawn, the technique and uh, the use of this... Uh, sort of multiple shades quickly transforming this warrior into a farmer i think is nicely done uh, this one is uh, you know definitely deserves a spot for me i don't really 
I don't really dislike if it's very literal in the depiction. And so I, I kind of like that it's actually literal in the depiction. The only thing that I don't like is that I think that the plowshare does look like a golf club. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's sorts to golf club. <laughs> oh man, your jokes are on par today. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Listeners, I'm so sorry. I apologize profusely for my co-hosts. This is um, so. So the this is so not the, in the show notes. So the dream is to swords to golf shares, uh, birds to paradise, <laughs> because then you get on the green. <laughs> yep, yep. Oh yep, my yep. god! This is like swords to timeshares. This is completely your ball court. <laughs> yeah, but like since since the listeners came for free swords to plowshares, and we had two people with the same opinion. I'm going to take this short moment and ask my co-hosts. I found a Swords to Plowshares doing research for this episode that I think completely misses the mark art-wise. This is Secret Lair Drop series. It's by Ryu Kamei. And it's the Emperor, I think the Wandering Emperor, completely obliterating a Phyrexian. I think, uh, what's, what's that blue one's name? It looks like that that one Jingitaxias. yeah Jingitaxias. there's no plowshares in this nope <laughs> there's uh, it's just like a really brutal slice this kind of looks like those you know two mana exile a creature with power toughness four or greater or four less or whatever it is it does not look like a swords to plowshares and the flavor text kind of just makes it worse for me rather mm. than be hunted in the shadows i choose to face the real enemy I'm not afraid of monsters I can see. And I'm like, what does this have to do with swords to plowshares? It's all those scary carrots. Yeah. You slice like... them up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No, I, I was looking at it too. This is uh, extremely confusing and must take a spot in the top five worst art directions that we've discussed ever since we started our art talk. This, who looked this through? Uh, who sort of said, yeah, you know, take some, make the emperor like a samurai woman with a face mask and have her slice up this monster. Swords to plowshares, clearly. Yeah, like the sword is doing its job and that's just the point of the card, like... To make the sword and not do its job. Is she gonna plant a seed within the corpse of Jingitaxis? It's it's a bit far fetched. I don't know. I think the thought process was something like this. Okay, it has swords in it. Let's put a new powerful planeswalker in the mix, and uh, let's let it let that planeswalker slice another legendary creature in half, because that's what swords the plowshares does, I guess. And let's make it flashy because then it will sell. To be fair, this is how swords the plowshares feels are, are actually used in in the game, sort of mechanically. You essentially exile your opponent's creatures efficiently, and the life gain matters very little. I would like to see a big blue dragon working on the field. That is what I would like to see. That would be the most <laughs> correct depiction of it, actually. <laughs> it's holding up plowshares in its mouth. Just mowing. Just murking here at the field. So that is almost all we have for this week. We just need to give a final shout out of huge respect to Leaving a Legacy podcast who are in October entering their final rounds of episodes, I think. I think they will add the last episode in the last week of, of this month. They announced their, that they're sh- sort of shutting down the house after some thorough thinking and we as legacy podcasts among with any others owe them much for being 
such pioneers in making sort of the, the whole idea of legacy podcasts come true, essentially, and also for keeping a vibrant community in their Facebook group, organizing soon their eighth tournament, the weekend of the week when this is, is published. So just mad respect and props to these guys, Jeremy and Patrick and everyone else who's been involved. It's uh, sad to see them go. But you should end on top, I guess. They certainly it's, are. I'm so happy what what we've gotten over all of these years. Like such a fun podcast with great guests and uh, phenomenal hosts. And it's it's sad. Just uh, three episodes ago or four when we had our q and I, I gave a shout out to uh, Leaving a Legacy because uh, it's one of those content creators that always makes me laugh in the wrong social environments. And it's going to be it's going to be sad uh, not getting new content, but maybe it's a motivation to revisit some of those old classics. But yeah, uh, huge shout out to them. I've gotten so much joy over the years. If you have harsh criticism on our choices of plows uh, or our choices in life, you can feel much welcome to voice them in our Discord server. You can find the link in this episode description. And in addition to Discord, you can hit us up on Twitter at STHLMLegacy. We are also present personally on some social media. Robin, where can our listeners go to find you? You can find me at Twitter at Jacka underscore boo. You can find me on Twitter as well at MonolithMTG. And I'm on Twitter at Disco Drogo. And that is the end of the 64th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you, Robinson C. and Christopher Wikström. Special thanks to you for listening. The great Frönes has, as always, written our music. You can find more of their work on Spotify. Until our next episode, stay on the green. <laughs>